RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Week after week, proving that you can't keep a good thing down despite your best efforts or maybe even our best efforts, it's Monday night, it's 7 p.m., and it must be Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Tonight, we're starting off what will be the longest-running stretch of new Trek since 2004. It's our pre-show for the newest animated series, Lower Decks, and that makes it the first new animated Star Trek series in more than 45 years. And we are joined tonight by a very special guest. Direct from Lower Decks, the writer's room, we have Chris Kula. And spoiler, he's not animated, technically, not animated, but the show is, and he's here to answer your questions and make sure that you ask him about his t-shirt, because I'm sure oh. he has a good story about that. Oh, oh, and, and another spoiler, there will be no spoilers discussed, so, you, you know, don't even try. But, but you can get in touch with us live by clicking on the Zoom meeting link or by using the one tap from your smartphone or by calling 669-900-6833 and entering the meeting code. Remember, there is a password this week, maybe. You'll see that on screen, and then you'll be talking to Earl, then you'll be talking to us. And we're, we're really excited to have everyone back here. You know, we had our Mission Log Live from like a hiatus from last week, and this week we have Chris, so we're really excited to have him on and get him talking to you. But first of all, thanks everyone for answering the survey that we put out earlier. I believe that Chris asked us to ask you who you'd like to see in a cameo appearance on Lower Decks, an animated version of a character quite possibly from the next generation era. So um, we're not, you know, we're not going to say you're right or wrong. Obviously, we're going to have our preferences. Uh, and, and we brought up a couple last-minute additions where I think we're either going to get like a thumbs up or, I don't know, maybe a groan or maybe a groan and a thumbs up. Who knows? Norman, Norman I have no compunction uh, about telling our audience whether they're right or wrong. I have no problem <laughs> with that whatsoever. And I welcome our guests to do the same thing. Uh, so, look, let's see who is in the Facebook chat tonight. Uh, first of all, Spencer, right out of the gate, he says, does anyone else think that Lower Decks is going to be the archer? of Star Trek. And then Paul responds to that saying, that would be awesome. I love Archer. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe not. Then we have Danny. Then we have Carlos. We have Barry. We have, uh, uh, let's see, is that another Paul? So many Pauls. So many Pauls. So many Pauls. David, David saying hello. Um, oh, and, and it's funny. David says he has one screen on the show and one screen on Sansar. He's been playing pretty heavily in the, uh, the VR game there, which we can talk about a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. He says hello to you. Hello to me. We got Kim. We got Chris. We got Joyce. We got uh, who else? Uh, uh, Robert. Uh, oh, and then there's Earl, our very own Earl, just chiming in in the chat as well, saying hailing frequencies are open with that link for you to join us if you like. There's Dominic. Uh, so wonderful to see everybody joining us tonight. This will be fun. I, I think this is one of the rare times we've had a writer with us live to answer questions, although there's only so much he can say because the show hasn't started yet. So right. this will be a blast. And remember, no spoilers, so don't even try. Just like John said. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So a little housekeeping here before we get started with the main show. Next week, we'll start our week-by-week coverage of Lower Decks with our special guest co-hosts. But you're going to have to wait until the end of the show to find out who that special guest co-host will be. So stick around for that. Yes, and then right after Lower Decks, Discovery Season 3 starts on October 15th. So yes, as soon as we're done talking about Lower Decks, we won't even take a break. We will go right into Disco. 13 episodes there, and that will take us clear into January. So it's going to be a busy fall and winter for us. I'm uh, I'm absolutely looking forward to all of that. Hey, um, enough of us. Let's welcome our special guest. So Chris Kula came out of the Upright Citizens Brigade. Uh, he's been a writer on shows like Community, Mad TV, and At Midnight. Uh, he has also written sketch comedy in a number of places like Funny or Die and the Onion News Network. So Chris, without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> this is hey, very pleasure. exciting. Pleasure to have you. Uh, were you at UCB in Chicago or L.A.? I started in New York uh, okay. at the uh, original UCB theater out there, and then in 2007, I moved out this way, and they had opened up the LA theater a couple of years before that, so kind of nice having a home base to set up shop at when I got out here. 
Gotcha. And I, I'm just curious, purely selfishly, uh, with The Onion, uh, when when were you writing for them? Because I, I still, to this day, watch Onion News Network stuff that I think is just hilarious. Like, the, the, the comedy of those just won't leave me, you know, 10 years later or whatever. Yeah, some of those headlines you remember for a while, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the videos. Like, I mean, honestly, the mm-hmm. Franz Kafka airport... Uh, to this day, I think is one of yes. the funniest things I've seen on YouTube. I remember that. Yeah, um, I was working at that when they first launched it uh, in New York. Uh, it was out of the Onions like Soho office where they did the newspaper, and then they were starting the web video stuff. So it was part of the initial launch of it, and uh, yeah, it was it was great. The favorite one I did for them was uh, it, it actually <laughs> this was a. A story that ended up finding its way onto Snopes because it came, uh, people started believing it was real. It was a uh, make a wish bankrupted by dying child's wish for unlimited wishes. <laughs> they treated it like a, you know, an abuse of power. Like the, it was the, on the morning show parody they did. And it was like, yes, oh, Jim, yes. you won't believe this. You, this child has, this is wonderful organization has been bankrupted by this wish for, you know, uh, an F-14 Tomcat, <laughs> regular visits from the New York Yankees, and they're doing it. They're fulfilling it. And we can only hope that this child passes away soon. <laughs> so then people, people got, like, outraged at that the wonderful Make-A-Wish Foundation was being <laughs> that <laughs> exactly. the and, and look how prescient you were, because now we actually, 10 years later, we have to have uh, a news channel or at least a, an Instagram handle called Not The Onion right. in order to point <laughs> out what are the stories that are real but not actually from The Onion. Yeah, uh, I guess that was the highest praise you could get at the time was to yeah. believe it as truth. Oh, God. Yeah. And those were just so well produced. So funny. Um, it, give us a little bit of your background. Now, you, you said that you came from U, uh, UCB in New York. And were you really like, did you think you're on a path to be a performer? Was the writing always a part of it? Like, where did your passion line? Did that change kind of along the, the route? Uh, I... <laughs> I got through my first like level one grad show completely dry mouth, terrified, like afraid to get off the back wall. I was never a performer. I uh, never had any kind of ambitions of doing that. But I knew that a lot of uh, improvisers had come out of UCB, Second City, Groundlings, and ended up on uh, late night shows, which was my goal at the time. So a lot of the writers from Conan or SNL had come through uh, improv. So I was like, oh, I guess I got to do this. Uh, so that's what got me into taking improv classes, but it was always with a mind to write. So I started writing sketch uh, as soon as I could and was part of a sketch group in New York and then uh, eventually started yeah, working on my own, writing for things like The Onion. And then I guess my um, big uh, TV break was uh, getting hired at Mad TV uh, when that was in its last couple seasons. So that moved me out from New York to L.A. Um, and here I am now. <laughs> Very good. And then for you, like, um, since you started in sketch, uh, do you prefer being in that world or now you've been doing more like long form and narrative stuff? Was that an easier, difficult transition? Do you like one more than the other? It's funny uh, because I've done, yeah, I've done some sketch. I've done some late night with with Mad TV and then uh, at midnight was a late night show on Comedy Central. There was like a daily uh, topical show and... It, I, it, the grass always feels greener with whatever you're doing when you're uh, working on a late night show, writing, you know, stuff, churning things out every day. You go, God, I wish I could just write something longer and dig into some characters. And then when you're in a writer's room for a narrative show, when you're biting, you know, bashing your head against the wall, trying to get the story to work, you're like, God, I wish I could just write some jokes. So, like, I guess the more <laughs> you're, you're never quite happy. Uh, but uh, I, right now, I am definitely more. Um, I've, I've been doing more half hour, uh, you know, narrative stuff the last five years or so. So that's really what, uh, I've come to find my, my, uh, happy place in. And, and this show, uh, Lower Decks is, is probably the best version of what I like doing where it is character based. It is, um, there's, you know, genre. I mean, obviously, you know, huge amount of, uh, genre involved. It's sci-fi, like, I would be happy doing fun characters if it was just a family show, but then to do it in a, you know, setting where you can literally do anything, go anywhere and not be constrained by any kind of conventions of, 
our own world, it's just so fulfilling, so satisfying. You know, Chris, a lot of the fans out there, they usually see like someone come into a new project like Lower Decks and they kind of like want to know who's working on it and what their Star Trek cred is. So can you tell like our listeners that are watching and who are going to be watching later, like what your background is with Star Trek, you know, how much of a fan you are, how long you've kind of like been in the fandom in the genre? Yeah. Well, our, what our, what's kind of unique about our staff is that we run the gamut from uh, people who've seen literally every episode of every series and can give you exact episode titles and uh, no ton of minutia to people who are complete neophytes and have never seen an episode. And I fall somewhere in the middle there. Like I grew up on the original cast movies. Like that was my big uh, entry into it. So like we had a, uh, a VHS tape that was probably dubbed off of like an HBO free weekend. That was uh Rathacon and search for Spock, like back to back. That we just wore out. Yeah. So like, that's my, uh, that was my first, you know, trick. And I love, I loved all the original cast movies. Five, uh, maybe not as much, but, <laughs> but like the even ones, man, two, four, and six are so good. Um, <laughs> so like I was big into that. And then, uh, yeah, big, oh, I hadn't, I hadn't watched all of TNG, but I was like very familiar with all of the characters and obviously like some of the bigger things like, uh, I distinctly remember watching Best of Both Worlds, like syndicated. Uh, I remember that was, I grew up in Michigan and it aired Sunday morning. So it was either like coming home from church or like skipping church because our family was kind of lapsed Catholic. So we'd somehow uh, get to see like, you know, the first run uh, TNG episodes <laughs> in, in lieu of confessing sins. <laughs> So uh, it's funny, Norman, you know, somebody had asked in the chat, Dominic said, you know, favorite series, favorite Trek movie. I think we we definitely got that. Uh, but Kim asked, we need the story behind Chris's shirt, Star Trek Jellico. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is this is my captain right here. <laughs> Talk about the great captains in, uh, in Star Trek history. Um, Jellico is referenced more in our writer's room than probably any, like, famous <laughs> probably more so than Kirk more so than Picard like we're for some reason just obsessed with Jellico in the uh, chain of command episodes because he, he just comes on the bridge and I think like I think it's his first entry where he just walks in like Riker's coming to greet him he's like yeah Will Riker class of 52 I know all about you and just like immediately commands the room and uh, God we just <laughs> we really had a thing for Jellico and then I found this Twitter account uh, which you should all throw a follow to it's um at uh, ST Delta Shift. It's a uh, meme account uh, where this guy does uh, <laughs> it's Jellico memes. It's basically telling dad jokes uh, with Jellico, like telling it to Troy or Riker and then just a you know, stone faced reaction from them. Oh. Uh, it's like, it'll be like, you know, Jellico, uh, Deanna, I'm taking a leave of absence. I've just gotten my dream job at the guillotine factory. I'll be heading there shortly and then just. Stone Face Troy. Oh, <laughs> it's just Lord. all of that. So I was like, oh, I love this so much. So before Star Trek Las Vegas last year, the banner of that Twitter account is uh, this image. So I used this to, I went took it to a local screen printing place and had it uh, done up for the uh, convention. Uh, so please, everybody, go follow at ST Delta Shift. It's hilarious. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, also in the chat, um, we had somebody, uh, Carlos, who says, I hope we get to see Starfleet toilets. Now, I don't know <laughs> how much conversation you've had in the writer's room about that, but uh, uh, Chris Riker replied to that saying they look exactly like ordinary seats. You sit down, there's a transporter sound effect, you get up and leave. <laughs> so you might be onto something. I, I don't know. I mean, is this the kind of thing that, uh, that garners discussion uh, when you're, you know, getting paid your huge uh, TV writer's budget to sit around <laughs> and make Star Trek jokes? Wasting CBS's uh, money. Yeah. yeah, is, totally. yeah. <laughs> we we spent a good half day discussing um, physics of the holodeck and whether you could use it as a bathroom, whether you yeah. could go in there and have it. What, what would happen to waste that was left on the holodeck? Like, if it was waste that you produced, when you say arch and it goes away, would the waste still there, or could you have it, you know, um, be part of the? It was it was long discussions. Uh, we we I think we ended up settling on the if you brought a surgical arch and like maybe use that. It involved like swallowing a silver dollar as like a you know sort of um, track 
Sure. Good. Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah. I don't know if we ever came to a consensus on exactly the physics of it, but we tried. I guess that really all depends, like, if the safety protocols have been turned off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I mean, that begs a good question. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like um, when, when you're starting to, you know, to conceptualize either plots or, or characterizations or ideas, where, where do you in the writer's room kind of fall between being irreverent, being too reverent, or second-guessing yourself maybe on like, oh, if we, if we land that joke, it's going to be amazing. If we don't, social media is going to eat us alive. How does that process work? I mean, we'll see what social media says in a couple of days. <laughs> when it or, or you'll turn off yeah. every device. Yeah, right. right. No, exactly. No. Uh, we'll, we'll see what we've done. Uh, um, what, oftentimes, what was a jumping-off point for us was We'd watch episodes together and, you know, sort of all be on the same page, usually TNG episodes, because our show is set in 2380. So it was kind of of a, you know, similar time uh, to like post-Nemesis, um, Voyager is back and our show is happening in a small, you know, uh, very lesser niche part of uh, Starfleet. So we'd watch episodes together and look for those moments that sort of... Um, identified with our people being the, you know, ensign rank and like the support staff. So moments like, what's the first episode where the board, where Q shows in the, is that Q who? Yes, it absolutely is. Yeah. So like Q, you know, rockets them off in the uh, Delta Quadrant or wherever they go and, and uh, they find the, the board come on the enterprise and there's that board drone, like working on a console when, Picard and like Worf and, and this like security detail come down and see that it's just there by itself. And Picard like gives Worf an order to, you know, take care of it or apprehend it or whatever. So you think Worf's going to spring into action. He just turns to the security guy next to him and gives him the nod. And this poor, like, you know, extra basically is like, well, all right. And then he goes over there and gets tossed across the room. <laughs> so we're like, okay, our guy, that would be, that would be one of our characters who gets, you know, basically delegated the job and then gets spends the rest of the episode in sick bay of like, I don't know what that thing was. It <laughs> threw me across the room. I got a concussion out of it, man. So right. like finding the small ins uh, for our guys who are like the underappreciated characters is sort of how we started a lot of stories that, and then also talking about our own experiences as uh, assistant, the people had like the, a lot of their first day jobs out in LA were as assistants or PAs um, or just any day job uh, you had where you were, you know, fairly unappreciated and unseen as an underling. And like Mike McMahon, the creator of the show, worked as a PA at South Park and they would have to do like big um, uh, warehouse. Like, like, I guess the South Park guys kept just tons of materials in their warehouse and the PAs would uh, have to be, you know, do sort of cataloging of it from time to time. And they'd be left to their own devices and they would do while they were sort of out of the boss's eye, it became the inspiration for an episode of ours. Nice. So finding things like very human, uh, you know, re relatable um, sort of situations and then, like, okay, well, if that was in Starfleet, how would that play out? Right. Now, wait, I, I, there's so much to, to talk about there, and I, I do actually want to talk about uh, production because you mentioned uh, South Park, and I want to come to that because they have a unique uh, uh, style and, and timetable for how they produce. But before we move on to anything that's remotely important or germane, I have to come back <laughs> to this, uh, uh, this holodeck uh, conversation. Because I, I'm thinking, like, okay, if I can go to Amazon right now and I can buy a rice maker that has fuzzy logic, I think mm -hmm. a holodeck has to have fuzzy logic as well because, all right, if I can go into a holodeck and, like, in elementary dear data, uh, uh, be served crumpets and tea that I can actually eat right, and right. taste and, and be satisfied by them, uh, that is something that is a physical object that then leaves with me when I leave the holodeck, Ooh, right? that's a great point, yeah. So the reverse of that means that when I come to a holodeck and – and something goes awry where, uh, you know, God forbid there are fluids spilled, there is uh, a thing that <laughs> happens, uh, the holodeck has to be smart enough to then clean that up or take care of itself somehow. Store it away, yep. yep. Store it, yeah, yeah. So I, I just, uh, the, like, the holodeck's got to meet me halfway. Uh, or a lower sure, like, character has to take care of it. 
Oh, yeah, that's, that's, see, that, that's the worst. That's, that is that is one of their jobs that we have uh, in, in one of our episodes. Somebody gets I mean, uh, assigned holodeck waste removal. I mean, there's got to be like uh, Mike Rowe of uh, Starfleet somewhere along the line. Right? Dirty jobs, dirty right. Jobs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, but just picture it, like the drain in a YMCA shower, like where it's sort of, you know, recessed. Uh, and just, oh. No. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh, the future sounds terrible. Uh, I bet you they're cursing Riker's name a lot. They, in have, decks. they have to be. They have to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, now, okay, Larry Nemechek, Dr. Trek himself, says one component of a holodeck is a replicator of solid matter. Yes, absolutely. Yep. I, absolutely. That the holodeck has to create solid matter. But then because it can create solid matter like a replicator, it has to be able to take matter back. So I'm right. just, look, I'm trying to save somebody from not having that job or not having the <laughs> YMCA drain in the middle of it. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for the best in the future. But um, I think that's what we loved about Lower Decks as an episode. You know, we got to see all of these characters that are behind the scenes. And I think that's um, – and I'm, this might be a pointed question, Chris, and I don't mean it to be. But I think that there has been some talk online about how this is sort of uh, – uh, very similar to what the Orville was trying to, to bring to the table, you know, showing a more, um, uh, or I should say a less formal um, look at, you know, this type of mentality, the Starfleet mentality. Everyone's walking around prim and proper with, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, very starched uniforms. But you can't, you know, you have to suspend the disbelief of not every single person is going to be like that. You know, you're going to have people like mm-hmm. Chief O'Brien. They roll up their sleeves. They get to work. They get the job done. And they go back home and they kick back and have a beer. So yeah. uh, was that something of concern that, uh, like, say, you and, and all the writers were thinking about, like, are we going to get too heavily, you know, compared to, say, like, you know, what Seth MacFarlane, the Orville, was trying to do? Or is there going to be a very strong enough presence at the very beginning to say, hey, you know what, no, we're going with our own boys here. And we're very much going to be, like, in the, you know, in the presence of Star Trek and, and fans will we'll assuage our fans' fears from the very beginning. What I think we have always strived to do uh, is kind of have best of both worlds. Uh, oh, oh, <laughs> hey, 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 there uh, we go. <laughs> yeah. uh, with the way our, our episodes are often structured is that uh, our bridge crew do treat themselves and do carry themselves like a, you know, traditional uh, Star Trek bridge crew. Our captain is very uh, inspirational and, you know, considers her ship the best ship in Starfleet, even if it is a, a lesser support ship. And the first officer, you know, very much is in that Riker mold. So, like, the bridge crew stories uh, often, like, that's what we sort of, you know, the way we were breaking episodes is, like, let's make sure there is a, a story that feels like a Star Trek episode, and then we'll see our guys, like, our main, you know, ensigns who are our four leads. Uh, it's their perspective on it which sometimes they're not even aware of what the bridge crew is doing because if you think about it like half the enterprise probably wouldn't be aware of what the away team is doing at any given mission because they're given their own details and their own assignments and you could hear like wait what's going on down there i don't know man i think there's a romulan involved like yeah information would get disseminated and you know not always to the lower ranks so that's kind of what we're trying to do is like this is a star trek uh show this is a start you know a very you know well-performing starfleet ship that just happens to be uh staffed by people who aren't always in the loop on stuff yeah um uh, carlos asks just a, a very straightforward question here which uh, is important how long are the episodes are they half hour 20 uh, minutes. half hour 22 minutes yeah yeah 22 minutes with ads depending on whether you buy cbs all access without street without ads or <laughs> right well, so just like the original animated series, TAS, which, by the way, you must have watched. We did a lot. We did watch yeah. a lot in the writer's room uh, in prep. Yeah. And there's a great book that's the art of the animated series, which was a good reference. Whenever we'd be at a point like, let's, well, just what's one of the great things of animation is we're not bound by any sort of production constraints. So it's like we can make any character be any race, any species. So we'd often be like, what are we thinking for this guy? Well, let's open up the book. Oh, ooh, that's, yeah, let's get a Harry Bim Bim uh, type of creature in there. Yeah, it was, it was, that's one of the great advantages of this show and one of the luxuries is that we can do anything. Hopefully we're choosing the right things to do. Nice. 
Uh, Chris throws out an interesting question here. He says, um, serious question, if there's enough love for the Orville and Lower Decks, why not a new crew TNG-type show? And I, I'll throw that out to you guys, uh, Norman and Chris. I, I kind of have my own thoughts about that. Um, but if either of you want to want to hop on that. What do you think, Norman? What do you think, like... Well, you know, there's there was something that we said at the very beginning of the episode, is that between Lower Decks and with Star Trek Discovery Season 3, there's going to be X amount of, of weekly new episodes of Star Trek. And then, of course, you know, Nickelodeon... Uh, during uh, San Diego Comic Con panel, you know they they kind of uh, they they teased you know Star Trek Prodigy. So you have all in, you have all of these new Star Trek properties that are coming up, like one right after the other, right after the other. And sometimes, uh, and I I rarely do this on Mission Log Live, but I'm going to do a Shatner thing, you know. Yeah. But sometimes, like you know, too much of anything, even love is not necessarily a good thing, you know? And, and that's true. Like, you have to be very careful of balancing how many properties that you're going to have uh, and, and expect the audience to um, consume and digest, and especially at the rate that we do it now, because you don't want to have overload and you don't want to have, like, everyone on the social media airwaves waiting to post their either their feedback or responses, waiting for other people who haven't binge-watched it, waiting for other people who won't be able to get to it because they're not doing CBS All Access, per se. Mm -hmm. So there's a very fine balancing act of having so many <laughs> – you do the hands – so many um, – <laughs> properties all at once not giving enough people breathing room I mean, you just can't chug a, a great you know keg of klingon blood wine without having to savor <laughs> some of the, the the finer points of it uh so anyway that's that's how i feel about it i love getting as much star trek as i possibly can but i can only eat so many strips of bacon and not have it be special anymore uh -huh. right yeah i i kind Mike. of uh, I, uh, uh, go ahead go ahead I was just saying, like, uh, Mike McMahon, the creator of our show, like, often uh, says Star Trek should be a public utility. Like, there should always be a Star Trek running. It should be, you know, <laughs> it should be a government uh, oversight where <laughs> we should always have, like, it, it's just something that it's so comforting and so, you know, you can do it in different genres, you can do it in different styles, but, like, the idea of that unifying this is Star Trek is so... Uh, good uh and something to depend on in our you know we're so scattered and so fragmented in what we watch and we'd like to have that unifying thing that's you know stood the test of time for 50 years is really nice to have that well there's a star trek on yeah mm -hmm. i i kind of feel like um 24th century Star Trek, particularly TNG Trek, and then you had uh, DS9 and Voyager, you had the TNG movies. There's a lot that takes place in that period. So to me, if you're going to do it, then doing something like Lower Decks that's a little bit of a curveball, it's just, you, you know, outside of that, totally different format, totally different tone, this gets to be the comedy Star Trek. To me, that's the way to do it. I, I don't think I would have the patience to see another series set in that same, say, like 20-year period that it was a, uh, a, a serious, you know, uh, Star Trek and big capital letters type show. Um, I also feel like that stuff was long enough ago, starting in 1987, that it feels a little dated to me, but it's also recent enough, meaning mm -hmm. the last movie of that period was, what, 2001? Somewhere around there, that I, I just, I sort of need that to be away for a while before maybe I can think about it as what Star Trek is anymore. So I, I'm, I'm glad for Lower Decks to be sort of uh, taking on that, period where there is so much Star Trek, where it's yeah. so familiar to a wide audience, but just doing something completely different, you know? Mm -hmm. Hopefully hopefully, it fills a niche for people who do miss a, a TNG sensibility, because we were really careful about making sure, uh, you know, the L cars looked TNG era appropriate, right. and right. the ships, you know, hopefully look like the shuttlecraft all look like the Enterprise shuttles, and you know, we put our own spin on it, but that really was our jumping off point. We were lucky enough to have the Akutas uh, come in uh, to watch the episodes and just give some pointers. And they were invaluable on uh, cleaning up our L cars displays. Uh, they sort of talked about how 
they really had a system for like training your eye to what you needed to see on those readouts and it really helped us like refine the amount of colors used and the amount of you know uh, how you would edit formats and that stuff so hopefully the aesthetic and you know look and feel of the show uh does sate that um tng appetite very cool you know, um, one of the things that uh, I, I think that myself, I mean, I'll, I'll be I'll be 100 percent honest, like I do it. A lot of other people do it when they see a certain style, uh, especially when it comes to animation. You know, some people will just uh, automatically assume that the, the tone and the tenor of the project that's uh, assuming this animation style is going to be somewhat similar in, like I said, in tone and in tenor. So when you see something like a Rick and Morty style you're thinking like, oh, is it going to be like Rick and Morty? And it's going to be Rick and Morty plus Star Trek. So in the, in the kind of like in the, uh, the realm of social media, that's all the sound bites that you're really hearing. And I, I'd love to hear like how, how you and other, other the writers and producers and people that are involved in the project are kind of slowly trying to um, uh, demystify or debunk what, you know, what people's um, assumptions are you know, when they first see like the trailer, because that's kind of the reaction that I've been reading about online. Yeah, I knew, you know, Mike knew for better or for worse, that would be sort of the first take because of his Rick and Morty pedigree. That would be a very easy way to just sum it up as, oh, so it's Rick and Morty Star Trek. Um, but he was, he's been very careful and concerted about making this feel of its own um, type and style. Uh, yes, there are some, you know, it is adult animations. There is going to be some things that, you know, are uh, irreverent or, you know, uh, extreme, maybe even violent, but it's definitely not a uh, Rick and Morty clone. And in fact, we shot down a lot of episode ideas because you go, ah, that was something we did on Rick and Morty. Uh, no, that's, that's a little too close to a thing, uh, a interventional portal that Rick had. Uh, so he was very uh, determined to make sure this feels like its own thing. And I think he's been very successful in making it feel that it, it has heart, uh, which I don't know if that show often, they would, it's a fairly cynical show, uh, mm-hmm. Rick and Morty. And I think our show really does love its characters. It really does love Starfleet. It really does love everything that all the series before it kind of put out. They may, you know, <laughs> they may be upset at having to scrape carbon off of slightly harder carbon is one of their jobs, but like they do love their place in Starfleet and like want to be the best they can. So I think I think it's going to come through that this show was made with a real love for Star Trek. Hey, uh, by the way, before we jump to our ad real quick, uh, Chris asks, is it good for kids? You know, it's funny you asked. I just uh, I just watched it, the finale of season one. We were looking at the uh, final color version for edits today, and I watched it with my six year old. Um, he loved it. Uh, I hadn't shown him anything previously, and he was right on board with it. Um, keep in mind, my six year old is fearless and uh, <laughs> like puts himself into dangerous situations all the time. Lives for you know jumping off the swing set at the highest point and like. Uh, holding his breath longer than he probably should. So he does like a, a thrill. He's a thrill chaser. So Mike's uh, six-year-old, he's got a kid about the same age. He found the pilot uh, too scary. So <laughs> okay. you're... Uh, yeah, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go, Chris. Uh, uh, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Hey, uh, uh, really quickly, hey, look what I've got, Norman. And look people at who are that. watching the show, yeah, it's the Shinju. Yeah, we love that. NCC 1227 from Discovery. Uh, the, the long lost Shinju. It is nice. It's so, here, I'm going to take it off yeah. the base. There we go. Come on, yeah. make the sounds. Do the sounds. Whoosh. Okay. Perfect. No, we're not going to do You're hired. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we just want to take a moment to tell you about Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection officially authorized by CBS Studios. Of course, the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection is available only from Eagle Moss Hero Collector. This special collection features brand new ship concepts and designs from both seasons of CBS Star Trek Discovery and will include ships from the upcoming season three. Each has gone through extensive reference study and has been reproduced under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson for accuracy and detail. 
So when you get your first chip, you'll notice that the USS Burand, the NCC-1422, it's the larger size. It's like over nine inches long uh, from the front of the saucer to the, the quad style in the cells. It, everyone knows the Burand. Right? So all the ships in this collection are this larger scale. And they're made of uh, the same materials that you get from the Eagle Moss ships. You get the die-cast metal sections and the ABS materials sections. are hand-painted just like the other Eagle Moss ships that you have collected. And I know many of you have. I know that, again, you can't see my background, but if it wasn't for this <laughs> background, it would be a wall of Eagle Ships. So many ships. It's just a room full of ships at Norman. So yeah. many ships. I have my own Starfleet. Each ship also comes with a display base, as you can see, just like all the other Eagle Moss ships. And for all of you collectors out there who love pouring over all the details, it comes with the magazine that comes with all of the concept art and uh, interviews with the designers, things of that nature. So you can read about all of that like Scotty does with his technical journals when he's <laughs> on shore leave or stuck in jail. After punching somebody, so <laughs> poor guy. Hey, so you can start your collection with the uh, Cardenas class USS Buran NCC fourteen twenty two. That was the one you saw on screen there just a moment ago. Destroyed by Captain Lorca in the opening episodes of Star Trek Discovery. Available to subscribers through this special Mission Log Live offer for only nine ninety five with free shipping when you go to herocollector.com slash mission log and sign up with the promo code mission at checkout. And then you can also see other additional models, including the iconic USS Discovery, the NCC 1031, which we all pretty much know, right? And that's a very long, beautiful model. The USS Kerala, the NCC 1255, and the reimagined Klingon Bird of Prey that we all understand and know from Discovery, and so many more. And then each ship uh, will appear monthly at an exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price, also with free shipping. Free shipping, right? So that's a, that's better than a mycelial network. <laughs> that is even better. Uh, and also, subscribers are also entitled to the free gifts with over $100 and may cancel their subscriptions at any time if you really want to. I don't think yes. you should, but if you nope. really want to. So full details of this can be found at www.herocollector.com slash mission log. Now, fans who would like to purchase their favorite ships individually, you may do that either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or at your local comic book shop for the regular price of $54.95 each. But, but come on, you saw the brand and you saw me so happy here holding the Shinju. I mean, get the brand for $9.95. Come on, and then uh, subscribe 20% off. You know you want to. I know Norman does. I know Chris does, and he just saw it. So, yeah. You that brand. It's, it's cool, right? I mean, who doesn't want a ship that's got four NA cells? That's two better than it's all like the Stargazer other ships. territory, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And not uh, spoiling any spoiling, but you know, uh, cross fingers. But hopefully, we'll get to see a USS Cerritos up there one day. <laughs> two dimensional. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yes, yeah. two dimensional Cerritos. I would love that. Hand painted with quality ABS plastic and machine parts. <laughs> yes. Let me ask you guys this. Okay, so if there's a fire in your place, you can only save one Eagle Moss. What are you grabbing? Oh, oh uh, yeah. uh, TOS Enterprise. Yeah. Oh, like the my. Uh, the, the, your, your oh, the TOS oh, oh, but behind me. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Behind me, so yeah, well, that, that giant one, that, that is made by somebody. That was made for Rod. All these things that are lighted up, uh, uh-huh. those were made for Rod by a fan and uh, did those wow. kind of. It's all from Malpass models. Uh, Mike Malpass did those. But down there-ish, uh, there-ish. There is a TOS Enterprise. It is just eh, so uh, nice. So that would be the one. Yeah, mine would be uh, the Doug Drexler NX01 refit. Oh yeah, that's yeah. rad. That that's is a rad ship. For 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 Eagle Moss, it's my favorite ship that they've done so far. Yeah, that is yeah. cool. Um, hey, uh, so much more to get to, so much more to talk about, including the poll question that we asked, every, asked everybody to chime in with the character that they want to see on the animated show on Lower Decks. But we have a caller standing by. We have Chris, who uh, who's joining us. And Chris, Chris is joined. It's not just Chris. Chris is joined by his own avatar from Lower Decks. Oh, I so, want one. Chris, <laughs> welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Hey, Chris. <laughs> Hit your mic, Chris. Hit oh, no, mic. we can't hear you. You are muted. Uh-oh. There, there, there we go. There you are. Yeah. Hey there. All right. Hey, good to see everybody. Uh, yeah, a friend of mine, she did one of her one of these for herself, and I saw her post it, and I promptly got in the comments. I was like, I need one of these for me. Thank you very much. And so, yeah, there's me. I had 
it is gone now. I had a little glass of blue gin, but I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> gone at this point. <laughs> but yeah, so very excited to have this. Uh, very excited for the show. I have two questions, one of which is a quick one and one that's a more serious one. My quick first one is when are we getting a uh, crossover promotion with world-renowned Cerritos Auto Square? I need that <laughs> for Jay. <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, funny yeah i mean i guess that'll be the test of time whether we can take the name cerritos and make it more synonymous with our show than yes cerritos auto square yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yep. hit the 605 town south street yeah, <laughs> exactly Man. exactly and my my actual question um was i was curious sort of what's the writer's room like what i'm guessing you of all guys have different sort of forms of comedy like I think of like one of my other favorite shows is Arrested Development and they're very much sort of like recurring gag type thing. So I'm curious what the room is like and how you sort of craft the the type of comedy for the show, both in general and sort of episode by episode. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, we'd always start with character. Like a lot of the first season was trying to figure out like who our characters were because we you know, only had the pilot to kind of go off of. And then it was big discussions of like what they want. Uh, how, where, where do they see themselves in Starfleet? Uh, what's important to them? And sort of using those wants as the drives for like, okay, well, they he'd be, you know, like a character like Boimler, uh, who's like super focused on being a captain and uh, getting promotions and just doing things by the book. Like that's a fun, nervous, neurotic energy we can use. So you just want to see things go wrong for him in his goals to try and move ahead. You know, what's the worst thing that could happen to him on an escort run? Let's explore that. Um, what would be, you know, if you see someone uh, get a promotion instead of him, like, how does he react to that? So just using their, like, emotional reactions is often the first way we'd get into stuff. And then in terms of, like, what's the greater sci-fi background to it? That was a lot of fun discussions of, like, well, we can do anything here. What about, you know, what, what haven't we seen in Star Trek or what have we seen that we could do a new... Uh, twist on. So a lot of the sci-fi A stories that the bridge crew is involved in were um, bigger sort of events that we could uh, have fun with and, and just populate our guys having their emotional stories while this big thing's happening in the background. And then by the end, hopefully it all feels like it is a episode together. That's a great question. Thank you. No, yeah, I'm um, super excited. I like, there seems to be an, based on the like three minutes of trailer I've seen so far, you guys really seem to have a sort of earnestness about it, which I like in my sci-fi comedy. There's a difference between like poking fun at something and making fun of something. And I think yeah. you guys, you know, you know where the line is. And so I'm excited to see sort of a new fun, you know, lighthearted take. Very, very good. Excited. I'm glad that comes through. We're, yeah. What's your, what's your specialty in uh, sciences? Uh, I'd probably be something astrophysics, you know, space, star. That's always been uh, something I've liked. Yeah, working out in the astrometrics lab. I imagine little <laughs> Ensign me is doing a lot of spreadsheets, lots of <laughs> yeah. lots of sitting Better in front of papers. a pad. Yeah, typing up. Uh, pushing yeah, pads. Yeah. 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 Hence the blue drink. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, a uh, very important question that was in the chat, pertinent to many of us here, and your avatar, Chris. Uh, is there facial hair allowed in this version of the 24th century? Big time. Our first officer, uh, uh, Ransom, has a persistent five o'clock shadow. So good. Okay. All yeah. right. So he hasn't gone full Riker, but he's 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 getting there. He's yeah. on the path. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good yeah, to know. yeah, mine's got that similar, I think, because that's just what we saw based on what little we had. Because I have like an mm -hmm. actual beard, but I think that's yeah. just the way she drew it, which I like it. It comes across really well. I'm also a big fan of um, Majoran security guy's mustache. He's rocking a real good staff. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Excellent. Chris, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Always a pleasure. Of course. Good seeing you, Chris. Take care. Yeah, you as well. Hey, uh, before we, uh, I think we have a couple other people who are trying to call in, but, but before we go there, you know, something really important, uh, before 
Chris came on the show tonight. He said, I want to ask the audience something. And that question was, for all of you, what TNG side character would you like to see animated into Lower Decks? Mm-hmm. So we posed that to all of you on Facebook and on Twitter. And uh, you got back to us. And, um, wow, just a really interesting list. Uh, interesting by who made it. Interesting by who didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll go through some of those. Now, hands down, I thought this was uh, interesting. Hands down, the person who got the most mentions uh-huh. was Reg Barkley. Ah, uh, yeah. sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, yeah, there we... must be, yeah, just a lot of love for Dwight Schultz and the A-team. And um, they wanted to Barkley is such a uh, sympathetic character because I think we've all been there where you just feel like you just can't put the right foot forward. Uh, right. I'm thinking of like Hollow Pursuits. Is that the first? Is that the first where we first meet Barkley? I think that I maybe, maybe yeah. I think we so. watched that a lot, and yeah, yeah it sort of became the uh, inspiration for one of our episodes because yeah, you just feel for the guy who just feels socially awkward and just you know feels more at home amongst his holodeck creations. Yes. So yeah, I think like Barkley is such a great human character. That, uh, yeah. Uh, and we've talked about like, what would Barkley be doing uh, in 2380? Like maybe he is, maybe he has ascended the ranks. Maybe he's put that best foot forward and he was integral in getting Voyager back. So I can see the Federation, uh, you know, seeing a a captain or a (laughs) special, you know, specialist uh, Barkley. Sure. Sure. Let's see. We also had votes for uh, Pac-Leds. I still want to see the Pac-Leds. Well, in this style. Love, God. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think you guys are right on the path of like what our, our wheelhouse was because we loved Samaritan Snare. The Packers are such a funny, funny race that, yeah, we had a lot of fun talking about them. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of this one, actually. Uh, Mott the Barber. Um, I really wish Mott would be uh, a part of this. And there actually, there are a lot of votes for Mott, uh, plus the suggested spinoff of Too Many Bolians. Uh, it's just a whole bunch of Bolians who are all barbers. I love that. Yeah. We've, we've talked about, like, what is it with Bolians? They're bald, yet they're amazing barbers. Right. They're, they're the best, yeah. Uh, now, of course, uh, because we're a big fan of hers, and she is uh, a regular viewer of this show, uh, Lieutenant J, played by Tracy Lee Coco, now, if Tracy were on, though, she would have to speak. Finally, Lieutenant J would have to have a voice. So um, we, we would like to see her. Um, Dr. Salar. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you remember, with Dr. Salar, like, we would hear her called over the intercom every now and then, but does she ever show up again? No. No. Like, that just seems cruel. <laughs> you know? So we have her come on and do some, like, real deal medical stuff on our ship and be like, yes. oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, not surprised at all that this was mentioned, Livingston, Livingston Picard. Um, oh, wow. Got suggested. Yeah. Uh, now, With Patrick Stewart's voice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Um, now, uh, what I'm shocked about is uh, I made my own list. Um, and, and actually, yeah. Norman and Earl here of people who did not get mentioned to bring back. Okay. Uh-huh. So I, I'd like to share that with you. And look, I'm not saying you have to. I'm not saying that us working for Roddenberry and being co-producers on this, I'm not saying that has any sway at all. Right, I'm right. just saying that, you know, this is what's on our minds. Okay. So first of all, uh, Ronan, the green mist that uh, gets it on with Dr. Crusher. <laughs> oh, is it the, uh, the uh, Sub Rosa ghost? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so there's yeah, yeah, no, sure. no mention of Ronan. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, all the Bring Lloydy from Up the Long Ladder, just oh all God. the Irish stereotypes. Oh, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, the whole village of uh, displaced. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, chickens and all. Um, <laughs> we never got to see the dolphins that are on board in the uh, cetacean lab. Very so, important cetacean ops officers. Yes, yeah. so they could be there. Uh, Parallax. They got Shanghai to DSV to Sequest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. You had the Parallax floating head from Cost oh, yeah. of Living, who's yeah. hanging out at the hot tub with uh, Alexander and Loxana. That guy has to have a uh, a life. Uh, you had uh, Mick Fleetwood is still alive. He could come back and be the Antedian fish person 
who uh, was the assassin. Um, Percent, that, that yeah. Um, Joe Piscopo. As the comedian? As Joe, as Joe Piscopo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. That scene with Data is uh, everything <laughs> you don't want uh, for comedy. Holy we watched that we watched that in the room uh yeah (laughs) like data wants to learn to be funny and his model is yeah oh god it's just about doing jerry lewis yeah yeah (laughs) much cringe sorry about that yeah uh (laughs) now norman you brought up uh i think what was probably the most inspired out of all of these uh well you know yeah. yeah Yeah, that, that's that? uh, Lwaxana's Silver Luggage. Uh, oh, and that was oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The gift box face played by Armin Shimmerman. Right. Fantastic yeah. call. Great call. We've talked mm-hmm. about the uh, Betazoid gift box <laughs> before. Yeah. yeah, that's a fantastic. What a great choice they made. Like, how can we deliver this message? Oh, I know. An anthropomorphized <laughs> gift box. Yeah. Okay. And, and that exists. So there has to be more of those that exist. <laughs> Totally. So, Could you imagine that? Just yeah. it just all of a sudden just something just pops up, silver luggage starts talking to somebody, you know, <laughs> one of the ensigns, take care of this luggage. And then uh, they become like besties. Yeah. Like, hey man, what's going on? You know? That is a perfect lower deck story, because that is exactly what they would be interested to do, and that is how the story would go, and then they would eventually have to part ways. But then yeah. we find out that the gift box actually has some duplicitous uh, agenda and is trying to use them to get uh, close to the you know, the warp core uh, codes or something. Yeah, kind of like shield frequencies or uh-huh. like something along that line. And like, but I trusted you. You're my friend. You know? <laughs> there you go. It's a Lower Decks episode. What does a gift box need with a starship? That's right. <laughs> you know, that, that'll be the next great line of Star Trek. Uh, and and uh, Earl actually called it the puppies. The puppies. Yeah. There are no. There are so many puppies all over Next Gen. Uh, you you had the female Q uh, uh, played by Olivia oh, Dabo. Right. She conjures up some puppies. You had <laughs> uh, puppies in one of the classrooms. You had there were just puppies all over the ship, and it never got answered where they came from or where they went afterward. So that's um, that's an important one. But actually, the very best answer on Facebook was from Jesse who said, our trusty hosts, your mission log host, peeling replicated potatoes in the back. <laughs> yeah. Jesse, you're not wrong. Yeah. yeah. Let's see, but, but it never answers the question, why don't they just replicate peeled potatoes? Peeled potatoes. What the hell? We did have a lot of discussions about the specificity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just cut out the middleman, right? Yeah. Yeah, is it like the tradition, like the time honor tradition of like you know, say Jake Cisco's like, I don't want to go back to New Orleans. Grandpa's going to make me peel potatoes again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. That's, so That's no vacation for me. Right. No, no. Oh man. Hey, uh, Chris, you mentioned uh, Mike McMahon a little while ago, and for the people who don't know, Mike is the executive producer on the show, and I, he, he does, of course, have that credibility coming from Rick and Morty, but maybe it hasn't gotten out there enough to, uh, to Star Trek fans to know that he wrote the Star Trek Season 8 Twitter handle, yeah. which then turned into a book, and yeah. I just, I, I don't know the guy, but I just picture him walking around an office just spouting out all kinds of TNG knowledge. Like, that is his wheelhouse, more than anybody. He definitely did his due diligence to yeah. do a whole un, uh, unaired eighth season, which I love his take on it. It was, uh, these were the, like, basically the B stories uh, where, you know, the eighth season would be like Data and Jordy uh, want to learn how to make hand-churned ice cream. <laughs> like, that is their journey for that episode. <laughs> Things like that. Uh, the book the book is called Warped. Uh, it's yes. the unauth- unaired eighth season. And yeah, surprisingly, we have not dipped into it as much as we we could maybe when we if we get more seasons we're desperate for stories we're like hey mike <laughs> pull out the book and cannibalize it i'm sorry is that, that really does sound like exactly the kind of thing that lower decks would probably do it's like oh, go for go for the ice cream story we haven't done it yet so because that's what he said uh most appealed to him about tng was you'd have these you know sort of high stakes uh a stories of diplomacy and you know alien engagement and first contact but then Meanwhile, you'd have data just wants to be in a play 
or, you know, uh, Jordy's trying to get a date, like the very human sort of uh, drives and wants for people that we'd see play out. So that is where we live in those B stories. Those B stories are our A stories. You know, we want to see our characters like uh, going for their very human, relatable wants. And then meanwhile, there's a big sci-fi thing happening in the background. Right, right. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, the thing is, I think like Tilly is she's so close to a lower decks type character because that's where you're, I mean, she is, she's all up front, you know, like with her feelings, mm-hmm. with the way that she just, that she interacts with people. Obviously she, uh, she speaks her mind, but she's very much like in that vein of something extraordinary is going to happen to someone so ordinary. Right. Right. Yeah. She was, actually that's floated. where the comedy lies. Yeah. That actress was floated as a potential voice for our Tendi character because she is that same like bright, uh, bright-eyed, like wide-eyed wonderment sort of uh, character, and oh, I think cool. that it's great. That's a great entry point for um, that you know ensign level. We have uh, Noelle Wells does that part, and she does it so great because she just brings this like ah, I can't believe it, I'm on a starship like enthusiasm <laughs> for it. It's really engaging. That's that's the character my son, the the fearless six-year-old, loves the most. He's like, this is a show about a green girl and her friends. And I was like, oh, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I, I want to ask you, we're, we're getting on to the last few minutes, and um, I just I, I want to get a sense of what your production schedule is like. Some animated projects take a super long time. Others, you know, you mentioned uh, South Park, and sometimes they're changing a joke like the day before something airs. Um, were you all cognizant of thinking like, oh, okay, this is coming out? Six months later, a year later, something can be timely but not too timely. Or are you really just writing to the theme overall to make it a little more timeless? Like, what what was that balance for you guys? We, uh, I think it was a fairly traditional like animation schedule uh, where it was almost like a year is about the turnover time because we started writing the first season in March of last year, and then we were working on the first initial animatics through the winter, and then. The color versions started coming in in January, February of this year and sort of hit a crunch where, uh, you know, when we went on uh, COVID lockdown, where everyone work all started being done from home, which is, I mean, one of the great benefits of animation is that it is a show that can be produced uh, from home remotely. So we were able to keep going, but um, there was still a lot of uh, additional ADR we had to get from the actors, uh, voice stuff that we had to like go through a lot of different hoops to have those last couple episodes, those last few parts um, get nailed down with like home records where uh, we was socially distant. A engineer from the company would set up like a, basically like a phone booth uh, padded with a mic in someone, one of the actor's homes. They'd go in then uh, alone and do it over, you know, uh, a zoom basically. And we'd listen in on a, a link and then try and give them feedback with like a 10 second delay but we got it. We got all those, uh, all the, all the episodes are done. Everything is being finalized now. So the first season will be delivered on time and, uh, yeah, coming up in the next 10 weeks. Now the second season, we're writing it right now. Uh, we started, we, we started the writer's room the first day of the stay at home order in March. Oh, so wow. We've, we've done this entire season, uh, via zoom room. Um, and it's been actually good. Uh, you can get a lot done. Um, it's amazing what we can do with uh, the technology we have now because you really feel like you don't miss much being in office and we're just smarter about the time we have. Uh, you don't feel like we have to while away the hours going to an office. So you just make good use of a couple of quick bursts, a couple hours per day, and then you you know do a lot of writing outside. And now the uh, first animatics are being done for the first couple episodes of season two. And we'll figure out how to record these actors in the next couple months. And, and, uh, Make the show. All right. Very cool. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for joining us tonight. So many people in the chat are just saying they're really excited, can't wait. And uh, Rick says, I love Trek. I love Rick and Morty. I can't wait to see if I'll love Lower Decks. What are the odds? Uh, probably, <laughs> hopefully pretty good, Rick. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> can't get yeah, yeah. you, Rick. I don't know what we can do. <laughs> right. Um, and, hey, uh, we, we teased it in the beginning, and I just want to let everybody know I'm so happy. You know, Norman's so happy. Earl's so happy that uh, starting next week, our 
guest co-host for Mission Log Live while we recover, uh, while we cover Lower Decks and recover. Hey, from no, you're going to recover. It's going to be a f***ing <laughs> ride. <laughs> uh, that will be Ashley V. Robinson. And you may know her from her current podcast, Geek History Lesson, but you will definitely know her as the producer, writer, and star of the series Red Shirt Diaries. So we are super excited to be joined by a Trek fan and someone who knows a thing or two about Star Trek and comedy. Uh, Ashley will be here next week and then every week until we wrap Lower Decks. So uh, we will all welcome her next week. Um, guys, thank you. Uh, Norman, always a pleasure. Chris, great to see you. Uh, awesome talk with you guys. Thank you. Uh, you were wearing last year when I met you the same week. Uh, Let's do so it again next year, yeah. We'll do it again in a year. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Earl. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is by the inevitable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and shabam! Shabam! If you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we look forward to talking with you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network